Welcome to the exam room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Thousands of Americans are having weight loss surgery every single year, and for many of them, the weight comes off, but it goes right back on following the surgery. So could the solution be a plant-based diet? Well, some people say, no, it isn't possible for them to adopt a plant-based diet. Well, that's actually untrue. They can. We're going to learn how. Today, our own weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, is getting examined himself at the Barnard Medical Center. Maybe there are some things he needs to improve on? I don't know. We'll find out. He'll be sharing his results on the show. Other post-op patients can learn so much from this. Here's Chuck. Thank you, Dr. Barnard. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for tuning in to the Exam Room Podcast, giving us a download today. So good to be back behind the microphone. Man, I miss this. The show today, very personal for me. It's all about going vegan following weight loss surgery. You know, once you have weight loss surgery like I did, you're wired differently. You quite literally get rewired, your intestines do, once they go in and they perform these bariatric procedures, whether it's the ruin Y, which I had, or a gastric sleeve, whatever the case may be, the whole idea is you're going to get rerouted so you can lose that weight. But that leads to mm, a couple of issues that you need to monitor moving forward. And malabsorption of vitamins and minerals and nutrients, that is chief among them. So if you do a Google search out there and try to find out whether or not... Um, it's a good idea to go plant-based following weight loss surgery. You do a Google search, you're not really going to come up with a whole lot of information. So I decided to use myself as a guinea pig. I went upstairs to the Barnard Medical Center and I had my blood screened for everything. Vitamins A to Z, all the soup to nuts. If anything was in my blood, if any of my levels were amiss, we found out about it. And because I'm the guinea pig, we're also posting the full blood work results up on pcrm.org slash podcast. I highly encourage you to give a listen to this full episode and go look out the results. Also, we looked at the menus that are given immediately to uh, the post-operative patients as they recover from the surgery. Those traditional menus, quite interesting. I spoke with registered dietitian from the Barnard Medical Center, Allie Lunning, who has also worked in the past as a dietitian for post-op patients, and we compared the menus that are traditionally given to patients versus a plant-based menu. What would that look like? Very interesting differences, and we also discussed how going on a plant-based diet immediately following surgery as you're going through that recovery period could be the best option. Don't delay. You could actually make it a lot easier on yourself, we think, if you do it right away. Also interviewed with Dr. Garth Davis. He's a leading bariatric surgeon and a huge plant-based advocate. Had an opportunity to talk a little bit about my blood work results from him. Interesting feedback there. And just on a news and notes comment, just real quick before we get going, a big week for a couple of vegans in the sports world. Uh, first and foremost, even though it's kind of a niche form of entertainment, Daniel Bryan, a huge vegan advocate, uh, wrestler in the WWE, has been shelved for two years due to 
to medical reasons, but finally got cleared. He's coming back just in time for WrestleMania. You can be saying, well, Chuck, why are you talking about pro wrestling? It's a huge story. It's been picked up by a ton of mainstream media outlets, ESPN, The Washington Post, USA Today, even the BBC picked this one up. If you're not familiar with Daniel Bryan's story, I highly encourage you to look him up. It's one that will surely put a smile on your face. And last but not least, uh, congratulations to a friend of this show, NASCAR driver Landon Castle. will be back behind the wheel of a race car for the first time this season. This coming weekend, finally got himself a ride. So hats off to Landon Castle. Welcome back. And Daniel Bryan, congratulations. Now, on with the show. The Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Give me a follow on Twitter at Chuck Carroll, WLC, two R's, two L's, and the WLC standing for weight loss champion. This show all about going vegan after gastric bypass surgery. I'm about nine years, eight and a half years removed from this procedure myself, have lost 280-ish pounds since then and have managed to keep it off, but it was only within the last year or so that I decided to go vegan and check that out, and I feel absolutely fantastic, and I was hoping, fingers crossed, that I would be able to achieve the nutrient levels required of me without supplementation. And so I went upstairs to the Barnard Medical Center and I said, hey, Dr. Steve Niebuhr, Let's let's do some blood work and find out. And so, Dr. Steve Niebuhr is here with me on the show. Good to see you. The pleasure is all mine. Do me a favor when you talk, lean right on into that microphone. Yes, sir. Because I know that you're sharing it today with uh, the lovely and talented Allie Lunning, who's a registered dietitian upstairs. Hello. Uh, you know, you're, you're all over the show. You cook, you, you talk bariatric stuff. Again, you have a background in bariatrics. That's why I wanted to bring you in, because... Steve here, in just a minute, is going to reveal the results That's of right. my blood work. That's right. Um, and, Allie, I think that you could give me some insight as far as what I should and shouldn't be eating to try to make adjustments where needed. Um, and then I think that the big question is whether or not I'll be able to achieve those levels without supplementation. So it, it's it's a whole thing. Can, can I say it? I, I think you should, Steve. <laughs> All right. The results are in. <laughs> He's got this envelope here. It's not a lie detector. It's not a pregnancy uh, paternal test. Paternal test. What am I saying? Paternity I Who, test. Who's your father? Uh, so we have some good news and we have some maybe not so good news. But so shall we go through it? Let's let's give me the good news first, man. I'm I'm an optimist. I need that first. Well, the, well, the good news is your all your organs are looking good. Your oh, kidneys yeah. are functioning great. Your your liver's functioning, I would say, really pretty well. Outstanding. So good work on that. Uh, you're not diabetic, which is a good I, move. I'd be shocked. Your total cholesterol is drum roll. <laughs> your total cholesterol is 105. Mm. What? That that is nothing less than phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. I mean that is amazing. Seriously. Uh, yeah. One 105. Is that the lowest you've ever seen? That sounds pretty low to me. I, I would say it's in the. I was going to say top five, but bottom five results uh, I've ever seen. I, I'd say you're pretty close to the cool. lowest. Cool. Cool, yeah. man. It's very low. Uh, you're you're. This is pretty amazing, too. Mm -hmm. Your HDL, which is the good cholesterol, mm -hmm. is actually higher than your LDL, which is the bad cholesterol. Yeah. yeah. Which we almost never see. I mean, that, yeah. I can't even remember the last time I saw that. Yeah, see, that's the champion right there. Absolutely. The weight loss <laughs> champion. Yeah, that, that's incredible. No, that it seriously is. is. 
Cool, man. So let's see. Well, that's good. Um, many of your vitamins were good. Okay. But some of them were not. Now, this is not surprising because after you have the weight loss surgery, it is the ruin why, which I had, you know that your body is just not going to absorb things the way that it once did. That's the whole idea behind the surgery. Yeah, absolutely. That That's the whole point of the surgery, right. in fact. Like they're, for, for people who don't know, what they're doing is they're actually – cutting off your small intestine from your stomach. So if you think of think of like a funnel with like a tube hanging off the bottom of it, okay? Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure the college kids will have no problem thinking of that. But if you <laughs> cut the tube off of it, right? And now you make a hole kind of halfway down the tube and you reinsert the funnel there and you seal off the top part of it, that's what they've essentially done with your with your small intestine. So they've they've made the stomach empty into the small intestine farther down the small intestine. And a lot of the absorption happens early on in the small intestine. So you're actually making people malabsorb their nutrition. Right. right. All right. So that's that's fat, yeah. that's calories, right. that's nutrients, right. that's pretty much everything. Exactly. Yeah. Your vitamins and minerals uh, as well kind of get caught in the crossfire of that. Right. So where am I lacking here? So let's see. Where should we start? I know. Well, one thing. He's flipping feverishly through yes. the papers here. <laughs> uh, I think this would be a good place to start. You're a little bit anemic, actually. I, I've heard that that's not uncommon with the procedure. Yeah, that's correct. And and anemia basically means your, your body's not making enough red blood cells. Okay. Um, there's several different ingredients that go into making red blood cells. Um, B12 is one of them, and your B12 levels are phenomenal. They're through the Charts. roof. <laughs> Can you maybe enlighten us as to why that is? Uh, supplements, man. There we go. Uh, apparently, you don't need to take B12 every day. Maybe once a week will do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, that was a seven-day-a-week thing. I've, okay. You know. So your B12 levels are off the chart. Uh, the other common component to make red blood cells is actually iron. Okay. Uh, and your iron levels are almost undetectable. Really? Say. Yeah. So oh. they're, they're very, very, very low. That's interesting to me because I do eat a ton of spinach, a lot of, you know, leafy greens, produce, foods that I would consider to be iron dense, but yet my levels are still minuscule, as you're saying. Yes. Right, right. And I mean, that can kind of uh, reflect onto a few graphs and images I can provide you to make available for the listeners on the podcast. But there's this image that I use all the time that shows directly which area of the intestine, you absorb certain nutrients. And iron is one of the areas that gets significantly bypassed. So even if a person was to consume enough iron through their foods, it's not it's not absorbing. It's mm-hmm. not absorbing in the effective way in which that um, it would be need to be used to make red blood cells. And therefore, here lies the problem. So, so basically, if I were to gorge on spinach, <laughs> if I were to gorge on anything else that was really high in iron and just make myself a Popeye clone, I still probably couldn't achieve optimum, optimum levels here. That, that's what it sounds like, yeah. So my recommendation would be to take a, an iron supplement, actually, okay. right. uh, to try to get that level up. Now, you know, you're not you're, – like Ali said, your, your area where you absorb it is not really – not really there. You're bypassing it. So, right. um, so even the supplement, we're going to have to see how you do with mm-hmm. it. So we'll re- we'll definitely recheck that in the future. Right. Yeah, and there's a few different forms of iron supplementation that you know that are available. Uh, there are uh, some supplement companies that make these um, these types of compounds that are that are broken down very quickly in the body. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something. Of course, we'll talk about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good to know. Uh, and that is, again, directly attributed to anemia, right? So if 
we get the iron levels up, does the anemia kind of go away or am I stuck with that? Yeah. So, you know, there, iron is just one of the components of making red blood right. cells um, or the, one of the things that goes into making hemoglobin in, in particular. And so if your body doesn't have enough raw materials, think of like a production line in a factory. If it doesn't have the raw materials, the production line slows down or, you know, doesn't grind to a halt in your case. You're still making red blood cells, but right. you're just not making enough to meet that, uh, what we consider like a normal value. All right. And just for the layman listener at home, the importance of red blood cells is? Good question. So red blood cells are what carry the oxygen to your body. Our bodies run off oxygen. They need it for metabolism, for functions of all of our cells. Uh, it's the reason we breathe is to get oxygen in and also to get the waste product, carbon dioxide, out. Um, but in order to get the oxygen to your cells, they need to be carried along something, and that's in your blood, uh, and they're carried by the red blood cells. Okay, so basically I have no iron, and that's affecting <laughs> the red blood cells partly. Uh, right. What else is, is kind of a factor there? Where else am I lacking? Well, so another area where you're lacking, let me show you, hold on, is your vitamin D level. Okay. Uh, your vitamin D level was seven and a half. And where is it supposed to be? It, it should be, by current standards, it should be at least 30. Oh, dear. So you're mm. quite low on that. Um, there's different there's different standards by the Institute of Medicine and, and some other organizations, but by any standard that you look at, your vitamin D level is low. Mm-hmm. And, Allie, correct me if I'm wrong, that's another common... Uh, issue with post-op patients? Yeah. Any of the fat-soluble vitamins like A, D, E, and K? I was just going to ask, I mean, is this something that's correctable by going and sitting in the sun for an hour every day? That That's a good question. I don't know that that's totally going to reverse it. You know, we, we still have to be careful of skin cancer. Um, yeah, you know, I, mean, we, I would still recommend you to wear sunscreen, yeah. um, but you only get so much vitamin D from the sun. A lot of people can get enough that way, but it, Not always. Yeah, I'm thinking with the 7.5, you know, using a supplement would be the only real way to start to get the 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 momentum on getting you to a normal level. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was Poor Chuck, we're tearing him apart. I'm sorry. Man, I was just envisioning pulling a Polly Walnuts from the Sopranos sitting out in front of the <laughs> store with the with the tanning sheet. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah. 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 So. Hey, you know what? I mean, I'm not saying don't take a yeah. nice vacation to the beach somewhere. Yeah. Oh, I, man, you, my <laughs> wife is a big beach bum, man. We, we do that every summer. Uh, but, yeah, I do have to slap on the old SPF here. I mean, yeah. look at me. Yeah, no, you got to do that. I mean, I'm pretty translucent here. It's horrible. I, I can almost see through you. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you kind of blend in with the white background <laughs> back there from the Physicians Committee sign. Uh, uh, what else you got? Well, so I wanted me? to follow up on the, on the vitamin D. Vitamin yeah. D actually helps with the absorption of calcium in your gut. And so your calcium level is actually is actually fine, uh, but something called alkaline phosphatase is actually elevated. And I, I doubt that a lot of the listeners have heard about that unless they're really in the medical field. Um, but alkaline phosphatase, one of the one of the places that we find it is in it, it helps with bone metabolism. Okay. All right. Your bones are are constantly being built up and broken down at the same time. So they're they're. Uh, we don't feel that, but on a cellular level, they're being built and broken down, and, and they're used almost as a reservoir for calcium. So when you eat calcium, some will get deposited in the bone, uh, and if you're not eating enough and you need some more, some will get pulled out. And so when the alkaline phosphatase level is higher than what we would expect, it can be an indicator that perhaps some of the bone is being broken down. Mm. Um, and the reason I mention this is because calcium is another nutrient of concern. And so if your your body's just not getting enough or it's not absorbing enough, um, the the calcium may start to become pulled from your bones, actually. And so with the vitamin D level being where it is, 
you may be actually losing some calcium from the bones, which is not a good thing. You want nice, strong bones. You don't want to trip at home and fall and break your hip. Yeah, not you at know? this age anyway. Um, so is that something that's irreversible? Like if the calcium gets pulled, it's it's dunsky? No, well, like I said, your, your bones are constantly building up, breaking down um, on, on a microscopic cellular level. And so increasing the vitamin D consumption will help bring in some of the calcium to your bones. Okay. All right. And, yeah. and keeping a good calcium consumption as well, um, getting it in your diet or even getting it through a, a calcium supplement can help. Okay. Again, that's another one that just doesn't absorb well after the ruin wine. Correct. Yeah, that's one of the top supplements that we have for folks after their procedure. And, you know, not it's not always that they have to continue to take it, uh, depending on which procedure it is. But with the gastric bypass, I would highly encourage to kind of keep some on reserve. Right. So give me so, an idea of what then I should be eating for calcium then. Let me, let me defer nutritionist. to the dietitian in the room. Beans and greens. Beans and greens. Give me uh, always. Give me some greens in particular. Greens. We can look at things like spinach and broccoli and kale, rainbow chard, Swiss chard, mustard greens, daf- uh, not daffodils. Um, I would hope not. <laughs> no, <laughs> dandelion greens, um, collard greens. Uh, these are all really great. You know. Ev- tasty ways to uh, get more calcium in that in those bones and is there a bean that's higher in calcium than another i have to say off the top of my head i would guess and say cannellini beans but i am only guessing so i think that's a that's something to ask the audience here i'm going to ask the audience on that one what bean is the best bean for calcium i'd say eat them all so uh, we've got ask the audience so we're playing who wants to be a millionaire and we've got mari povich (laughs) as well this is is just tv syndication at its greatest trying to do a serious segment and just we we can't do it (laughs) mari's still on the air though isn't he i I, it's just reruns man i mean he's got to be 127 years old at this point (laughs) Um, okay, so calcium, vitamin D, iron, I'm anemic. Where else am I coming up short, man? You know, that's really it. The rest of your vitamins actually look good. I was just, I was just flipping through um, your uh, – let me see here. We tested your – we tested your B1, which is thiamine. That's that's well within right smack in the middle of the normal range. Your vitamin B6 is, is also well within normal. Uh, the vitamin A is fine. And – I think that's about it. Your, oh, sorry, your B12 I mentioned earlier is, is through the roof. And also your folate, which where do we get folate from? You tell me. You're the doctor. Foliage, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I see how that works. So yeah. you, you guys know that I'm not joking you when I say I eat a ton of spinach. Yeah. yeah. We have evidence to back it up. Yeah, there you go. All right. So uh, what's what's the course of action here? I mean, Ali, hold on. Let's, let's start with you. So supplementation seems to be likely here is there anything in the world that i could possibly do short of just eating so much that my stomach explodes <laughs> to make sure that i get all of my vitamins and nutrients and my requirements without taking supplements i would say that for where you are with the levels that we have today it would be um it would be advantageous for you to start with supplements and i would not start to progress with uh, an intervention without a a little help from our friend vitamin D. That is a very diplomatic answer. That that was really good. I don't think I could have said that better. (laughs) (laughs) I I was sitting here in awe as she was saying that. All right. So then uh, doctor prescribed me a course of action here. Yeah. So we'll we'll get you 
get you a couple of supplements. It's not too bad. And remember, vitamins, they do come from plants, right? Mm-hmm. So your vitamin A and the different B vitamins, you're getting those. You know, it's, it's hard to say which vitamins a person will absorb well versus not absorb well. But we know from testing your blood that you're absorbing some of these well. Right. Yeah. But, but I would certainly start you on, on vitamin D, as we said, start you on iron, um, and also some calcium to go along with that to help, once you get the vitamin D in your system, help bring in some more calcium, build up those bones a bit. Um, calcium, if you can get it from your beans and greens, it's fantastic. For you, I think you need uh, just a little bit more, though. All right. right. In yeah. general, you know, this, remember, too, today, we're talking about someone who's had bariatric surgery. This does not apply to general population necessarily. I'm right? wired di- I'm definitely wired differently. And if anyone has any questions, check with your doctor. I think then, Allie, one of the things that we haven't touched on is that this is not a problem that is exclusive to anybody that is on a plant-based diet. This can literally happen to anyone who has had bariatric surgery. Exactly. Yes. These results are, yeah, I mean, aside from your incredibly amazing cholesterol levels, um, and your A1C is better than mine, by the way, last yeah. time I checked it. So, um, you know, these results are very typical of a bariatric patient who after years maybe hadn't been taking um, an iron supplement, maybe kind of got off on, stopped doing some iron supplement, um, calcium supplementation. Um, these are, you know, that's very typical. So the plant-based diet has been nothing but advantageous for your health. All right. So the reason why I wanted to do this is just that when you Google this, there just is not a whole lot of research out there about going on a vegan diet after you've had weight loss surgery. So I know that we've joked around on this segment, but really what I'm trying to do is to prove that, yes, it is possible and try to be that model who kind of provides that guide on how to do it. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I, I can imagine somebody calling us out on this and saying, oh, well, where's the data behind it? And there, I, I didn't really find much data. I know you didn't really find much data mm-hmm. on it. And so, you know, anytime there's not really data to support your your hypothesis or your theory, um, I think it's a good opportunity to do some studies yeah. and, and, and see because that will give you the more definitive answer. I mean, we're taking you as a, as a case study, right. yeah. you know, and so we can't say everything that applies to you applies to every single person that's had gastric bypass right. surgery. Sure. And I, I certainly don't want to imply that. No, so, no, 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 no. Um, Everybody's different. You know, so everybody talk to your own doctor about it. Yeah. Um, but in your case, I would say you're doing fairly well. I mean, I, you know, I examined you the other day and – um, you know, got a good history from you and you're feeling well and everything seems to be going well. Um, and aside from a few, you know, in the grand scheme of things, relatively minor uh, blood work issues, you're doing really well. You're you're feeling well, right? I am. You're feeling a happy well. guy. More or less. You know? Yeah. You're, you're, you're not regretting anything. And, and, you know, like we said, you're doing you're doing well. Keep up the good work. I'm, I'm trying, <laughs> man. So uh, here, man, I'm just going to put all of this up on. Uh, on the pcrm.org slash podcast. Feel free to peruse through there. I've signed the HIPAA waivers and all of that. Um, the only thing that will be redacted is my name, my address, my phone number, <laughs> my social security number, and anything else that I deem private. But all, all of... All lab results. Yeah, no, all of the lab... The numbers, the lab results, they will be available. So uh, anything short of uh, of my social security number, you will be able to see. So, uh, Dr. Niebuhr, thank you very much. We are following up in a couple of months to see where we are 
are with supplementation yeah, and, and all of that. Um, and Allie, if you could also maybe just recommend some changes to my diet, some things that I may want to include, some things that I may want to uh, remove, let's put together a course of action since I am a case study yeah. um, and really, you know, make myself that, that guinea pig so at least it can hopefully pique the interest of others, maybe some other bariatric doctors around the country that say, hey, this is impossible. At least at this point, we will have one particular case that says that it is. Right. And, yeah. and one is a start. And yeah. that's all we're looking to do. Yeah, and I would love to hear from other doctors that that, that, uh, that deal with patients that have had bariatric surgery. Uh, certainly, I, I, that is not my typical practice. Sure. Some patients, but not, not many. Um, but some doctors do this for a living, obviously. And so to hear from them, I think, would be beneficial. And like we said, for any people out there that are listening that have had the surgery, considering the surgery, talk to your doctor about it. Yeah, uh, and, and you can shoot me an email as well. That's um, C. Carroll, C-C-A-R-R-O-L-L, at PCRM.org, or hit me up on the Twitter, at Chuck Carroll, W-L-C. Uh, while we're just plugging that, at PCRM as well. Um, many, many ways to get in contact, but I would be very curious to hear if there were any other uh, post-op patients who decided to go on a vegan diet. Um, and I think that uh, we need to talk about this. We need to bring some attention to it. Yeah. So. Yes. Allie, Dr. Niebuhr, thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah. This is The Exam Room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. You're listening to The Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. And on the line with me, I'm really excited. I've wanted to talk to this gentleman for... Uh, more than a year now, Dr. Garth Davis, he is a bariatric surgeon and a plant-based advocate. He joins us now on the exam room. How are you, Dr. Davis? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you so much for carving out the time. Um, before we get going, I don't know how much via email you were able to digest about my story, but um, I am about eight and a half, almost nine years post-op from Ruin Y gastric bypass. I was 420 at my heaviest, um, lost 265 pounds. Went vegan and then lost another 15 unexpectedly. I feel phenomenal. The thing that I was really hoping, though, because of a plant-based diet being so much more nutrient-dense, I was really hoping that maybe I would be able to do that without supplementation following that surgery. As a doctor, though, is that even possible because some of my levels recently came back low? Right. It's possible. Everybody's different. I mean, I see – look – I see these vitamin deficiencies in meat eaters just as often, so it's not necessarily a, a matter of what you're eating necessarily. But, I mean, some things like B12 are going to be hard to absorb, and mm -hmm. uh, they're certainly hard to absorb if you're vegan and, um, and you know, you, you're not absorbing them because you're not taking it, plus you've got a gastric bypass making it hard to absorb what you are eating, then you're going to get B12 deficiency. Uh, certainly we might see calcium deficiencies and iron deficiencies as we see in gastric bypass patients in general. Um, and, you know, I certainly have vegan gastric bypass patients that don't take much in the way of supplements, and I've got others that need it. Everybody's going to be different. Yeah, uh, my iron and calcium were, were actually pretty low, so that was a little bit disappointing, but it's something that is at least manageable. The good news was my cholesterol is just ridiculously low. Um, the physician here at the Physicians Committee who looked me over at the Barnard Medical Center said, like, this is one of the five lowest um, readings that he had ever seen. I suppose then with your, your post-op plant-based patients, you see quite a bit of that as well. 
Oh yeah, my post-op plant-based patients are. I mean, they're they're phenomenally healthy. They don't. They go off all of their medication. They're no longer diabetic, no longer hypertensive. Cholesterol levels go away, and it's it's really hard for their primary doctors to uh, to accept that. You know, it's very hard in, in medicine. We kind of view you as once diseased, always diseased, and uh, once taking a medication, always taking a medication. In fact, the, the the national guidelines on cholesterol medications is once you start it, you take it forever, even if your cholesterol level goes to normal, mm. uh, which is insane. But um, but what we have found is that through lifestyle. Uh, and through, of course, uh, surgeries that help with the lifestyle. Um, we've had extreme success in curing these otherwise chronic diseases. With your plant-based post-op patients, do you find uh, that they have a better chance of actually managing that food addiction? I'm not sure that it ever goes away, but I certainly feel like I'm less susceptible to falling off of the wagon because I've overhauled my diet. Oh, no. I mean, my plant-based diets do just unbelievably fantastic. I mean, those are the people that really, you know, sometimes you'll see like a post-op patient who's lost weight but just still looks sick. Right. Um, but my plant-based people just look thin, just phenomenal. I mean, they're running marathons and, and doing all kinds of stuff. And I, I don't think I can ever think of a plant-based weight loss patient that struggled. I just, I don't think I've ever seen that. Talk to me about how you begin that conversation, because I would imagine somebody coming into your office, unless they know you, they're probably not really all familiar with being vegetarian, being vegan, because they've probably been a hardcore carnivore their entire life. How do you begin that dialogue? Yeah, no, no, no vegans come to me for weight loss. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the case. I mean, you know, the the dialogue. I, look, I, I don't use the term vegan or vegetarian, and I, I allow for meat in the diet, um, but it needs to be the, the table needs to be turned. Um, there, it can't be every meal. There needs to be a vast majority of fruit and vegetables in the diet, and it starts with kind of conversations about, you know, what are the healthiest people in the world eating. Um, let's take a look at what they're eating in Okinawa or what they're eating in Sardinia or what they're eating in these places that they're healthy. Now let's look at what Americans eat. Let's compare America with the highest protein to other countries with lower protein levels. You know, it's just kind of like a appeal to, well, let's look at what, you know, what healthy people are actually doing. Uh, and then I show them some studies on, you know, weight loss with plant-based diets. And, um, and then I, you know, we, we, in, instead of what not to eat, I show them what I do want them to eat. And I show them, you know, I, I give them recipes and meal planners and things like that. And the food looks good and tastes great. And so it's not like, can't eat this, like eat, eat as much this as you want. And so that goes well. And, you know, one of the things that has really struck me as I've done some research about bariatric surgery is the longer a person is post-op, the more likely their chance is that they're going to put on weight. I would imagine for, again, people that have switched to that plant-based diet, their risk of actually gaining that weight back is is pretty minuscule. Yeah, it's very minuscule because if you're eating a, a true plant-based diet, I'm not talking vegetarian or vegan because it's easy to be a junk food vegan, but if you're eating a plant-based diet, high in fiber and water, uh, you're going to fill up that pouch you know, very fast, so you're going to be full you know, really easily, so you're not going to be that hungry, you're not going to be eating calorie-dense foods. And what type of specific challenges do bariatric patients face when they adopt these plant-based diets? Because they are lower in calories, and certainly the stomach is also a lot smaller. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it's always weird to me that people are worried they're not going to get enough calories. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, it's just weird because people, you know, they're coming in and they're, 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 they're gaining weight after their weight loss surgery, and they ask me what they could do about it, and I say, go on a plant-based diet, aren't I going to get too few calories? I'm like, that's kind of the point here. 
Um, we need to lower the calories. You don't need as many calories as you think. And so, um, I mean, I, the the only real struggles I see with people is probably more in the gas situation, uh, getting mm. gassy because they've got the wrong bowel bacteria. But over time, of course, that gets better and better. Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting transition there for about three or four weeks, and then it just kind of dissipated as, a, right. as your gut microbiome adjusts. Um, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, I saw you in the movie. What uh, the health? Probably. What the health? Um, and you made a comment about how, as a society, we're seeing, I guess, increased acceptance of larger and larger frames. And, you know, it's great, as I see it, that people are accepting, accepting themselves for who they are. But the conversation that I always have with my wife is like, this is really promoting that it's I don't want to say it's okay to lead an unhealthy lifestyle, but it's basically saying, okay, go continue to eat those chips, go continue to eat that pizza, that red meat, that whatever, and just lead that unhealthy lifestyle. And then, you know, it's still, you're still going to be okay. I think that there's a serious disconnect with where we are going as a society. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, of course. I see that all the time. There's just this kind of like, um, let's accept ourselves for who we are. And I, that's, look, that's, that's great, but you, just accepting yourself for who you are doesn't mean eating a cheeseburger. And right. if you eat a plant-based diet and you're still a little bit overweight, okay, fine. Then you know, uh, be accepting of who you are. But but if you're poisoning yourself every day, I, I, I don't feel comfortable being accepting of that kind of a lifestyle. Um, I mean, to me, when someone comes to me and they're on tons of medications and and they're sick, and definitely their obesity is contributing to it, or the food that they're eating is contributing to the diseases and the obesity. You know, you got to do something about that. It's not. I'm not treating quote unquote fatness. I'm treating lifestyle problems that are causing uh, um, health and, and issues that we see in societies that uh, don't pay attention to the way they eat. And real quick, let's end on a positive note. Can you give me one or two examples of some patients that you've worked with that even you take a step back and say, wow, what a dramatic transformation? I mean, one or two. I've got hundreds, <laughs> if not thousands. It's, it's, uh, I mean, there's so many. It's, uh, I, I see it all the time. I, you know, there, I had one guy, um, Marcus Cook. Um, I think his, he goes on Instagram as big to little. And uh, he was... Um, he was close to 500 pounds, mm-hmm. and he had had a band before, and he came to see me, and the band wasn't working. And I said, look, I could take off the band. I could do a surgery. But, I mean, you know, there will be a honeymoon period. You'll lose some weight. But, I mean, you're going to be back here, you know, unless you make some lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. And he said, I will do whatever you tell me to do. I said, whatever I tell you to do. He's like, anything. And this is, you know, a good old Texas boy, eats his meat, all that kind of stuff. And I told him, well, you got to move. You got to uh, eat a plant-based diet, and you got to understand that you know every day should be a challenge. You got to understand that impossible is a dare, and you, you got to take that dare. Loved it, and uh, he really got into it. And I did a he wanted me to do a triathlon with him, which we he's lost. You know, he's down to like two hundred pounds, two twenty. And um, we did a triathlon in Miami together, and he's done an Ironman and, you know, continues to succeed. That's great, man. And and just popped in my head, are there any patients that come in and you try to have an intervention with them before they actually go under the knife and you try to get oh, them yeah. to adopt this new diet? Absolutely. Yeah, that happens all the time, too. Yeah, I've had several patients that have ended up not uh, undergoing the surgery, that have stuck with the diet. Um, you know, a lot of times you're four or 500 pounds. It's going to be hard. You need some kind of help, uh, you know, just 
I, a lot of patients come in, look, they, they, my patients have been dieting since they were, you know, children, mm-hmm. uh, gone to uh, quote-unquote fat camps and, you know, when they were kids. And so telling them I've got the right diet doesn't register with them. Right. You know, they're like, oh, I've been a million diets. So like, okay, I'll listen to you about diet, but give me some kind of tool because I'm desperate. And, uh, and, and so surgery becomes, the conversation is surgery is a tool uh, to changing lifestyle, and I can give you that tool if you understand the risks and benefits, um, but you still have to change the lifestyle. I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And final, final question here. What's it going to take to get more doctors in this country to kind of take a step back and open their mind to nutrition and start studying it and, you know, hopefully be able to help their patients a little bit further so we don't have conversations such as, Chuck, you need to have a hamburger? Yeah, you know, it needs to start in the medical schools, and there's a lot of efforts to do that, um, to bring nutrition into the medical schools and to, and to start educating people for there. There's There's been a, a lot of research lately. I mean, the literature is really starting to get loaded up with um, the benefits of plant-based diet, which is good. Now, of course, the meat industry is trying to fight back against that and, you know, sponsor crappy uh, uh, research to try to um, create doubt. Um, but in general, I'm, I'm getting more and more physicians that are – coming to me interested in the topic as more and more research comes out. So I think as research starts to really speak out what the truth is, and as we continue to have this obesity problem, I think doctors are, are, are going to start you know, listening, and, uh, and especially the younger doctors Dr. that aren't already filled with dogma. Dr. Garth Davis is certainly painting an uh, optimistic picture for the future, and, and certainly I, I agree with you 100%. I'm a living testimony to it, and I'm so glad that you're helping so many other hundreds and thousands of patients do the exact same thing. So thank you so much for taking the time today. All right. Thanks for talking to me. The Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. A very special episode, one that is definitely close to my heart. Going vegan after weight loss surgery. Of course, a lot of critics say that it's just not possible. I say just the opposite. And I know that a registered dietitian upstairs at the Barnard Medical Center, she definitely is one to agree because she has worked in the bariatric field. Allie Ludding, welcome back to the program. Hey, thank you. Now, when you and I first started talking about this, actually, when you and I first started talking, period, somehow this came up and it was just like synergy. Mm -hmm. So we've been planning to do this show for quite some time. After you get the surgery, the menus that you're given, at least the ones that I was given, you think that it's really healthy at the time. You're told that it's healthy. You don't really have any idea. I had no idea what a plant-based diet was at that point. I had heard the word vegan. I always thought that it was reserved for, I don't know, like hippie surfers or Mm -hmm. something like that, which certainly is not the case. Um, But looking back on that menu, Allie, I mean, it's, it's kind of like horrifying it's almost like you're shooting yourself in the foot right out of the gate yeah it's it's definitely a lot of the foods that are really focused and highlighted right afterwards are so they they only take one thing into consideration and that one thing is protein right and it it sometimes drops the real effect of how food influences our body yeah and and 
I mean, that really was stressed. And they put kind of the fear of God in me mm-hmm. about not getting enough protein. It's, oh, your hair is going to fall out if you don't get it. Oh, you're going to lose your finger. Like, whatever the case may be. It yeah. was like, if you don't eat your protein, you're not going to live to see the new year. And that, come to find out, is just kind of a 100% fallacy. Period. Well, what what's so important after surgery for healing purposes is that patients meet their their needs. So for healing, it's estimated to be about like 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilogram of ideal body weight. Right. And so for men, that ends up being typically around 80 to 100 grams per day. And for women, about 60 to 80. Mm-hmm. So what's really important is that those needs are met for their healing purposes. However, it is not critical that those protein foods come from those sources that they come from high fat, high salt yeah. options. It's yeah. not. It's completely unnecessary that they come from those ty- type of foods. Now, I was given a, a plan, and they kind of baby step you back to solid foods after you have the procedure. And the first thing that you're on is a liquid diet. No surprise for at least a couple of weeks. Yes. Um, and the big thing was chicken broth. Yeah. That was loaded in sodium. Yeah. But. You know, drink that because that's all you can really handle at that point. Mm-hmm. So again, looking back on that, that's probably not the best option. Right. Right after surgery is your body's time to really start to repair itself. And you want to be able to give your system everything that it can possibly have mm-hmm. in order to re- rejuvenate and to heal. Right. And yeah, so, you know, you think about different cultures who make beautiful broths out of things like ginger and turmeric and, you know, mushrooms and shiitake mushrooms and, yeah. you know, using that type of, I've always, I had felt very strongly that using that type of philosophy would be so beneficial for patients. From the liquid, you go on, at least I did, to something called puree, and apparently that's no longer uh, the recommended step. But, you know, I had this surgery, what, almost nine years ago now. So it was pureed foods, but literally all that was was basically solid foods that you literally threw into a blender. So I remember making like a meatloaf. And putting it in the blender, like with marinara sauce or mm-hmm. uh, like a barbecue. I mean, this was just nasty. I remember getting a chicken barbecue from the store. It came in a, a white plastic bin. And I would put that in the blender and just mix it all up. So I had like meat mush. Now, I thought that that was fantastic because I hadn't eaten in oh, yeah. what seemed like a month. Right. But again, that's loaded. Not not just the meat, but I mean, that's loaded with like syrups and sugars and dyes. And it's just... Vegan or not, that is just not healthy. Right. It's it, and it's not it's not a way it's not a pattern of eating to set up to project somebody to a long life of long term weight loss and weight loss maintenance. Right. If somebody truly believes that the only way to continue their weight loss or to keep the weight that's been lost off is to go back to eating in that way. That's very toxic. Uh, again, right out of the gate. And certainly that's that's a trigger food. But because the surgery was so fresh, whether it's myself or anybody else, you're still going to see those numbers go down on the scale. Right. And that's 
that's misleading. Mm-hmm. You don't understand what's coming up in about six, seven, 12 months. Yeah. So for a lot of patients on that same stage, we would do full liquids. Mm-hmm. I was a huge advocate of using lentil soups that were pureed. Right. You could use split pea soups that are pureed. You, right. can, you can get those protein numbers with with other op- with other f- actually nutritious food choices. Uh, we'll get to you being a rebel in this field here <laughs> in, a, in a little bit. Your story is, is incredible, and I love it. So then you get on to soft food. That was stage mm-hmm. three or four. Yeah. And that was when they started heavily pushing cheese on mm-hmm. you. Like, you That's know. when you can eat cheese. Right. But it wasn't even American. Uh, it wasn't even real cheese. It was like those American cheese slices. But be sure you get the low fat. Low type. fat. Mm-hmm. Fat free. Right. Put some more chemicals in there mm-hmm. uh, you know and again it's like tastes great and the southern boy in me was like let me put this in some grits cheese and grits yeah great right healthy yeah is it is it though really exactly yeah. exactly and then we start setting up this this pattern that's already unsustainable mm-hmm. and then uh, then you get to the solids and you're kind of back on your way and i remember distinctly my menu being so heavy on ground turkey (laughs) it was silly so like i jotted down some things that i remember making Mm -hmm. turkey loaf turkey with marinara turkey slices with american cheese just rolled Rolled up up. yeah (laughs) and you know virtually any suggestion that i was given had some sort of a meat component processed meat more often than not again not the best Allie. Mm. I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I mean, you've got all of these menus in front of you and, and you worked very close, uh, closely with patients. You were a rebel, though, because you tried to put a lot of plant based options on there. But nonetheless, you were still required to give these meat heavy menus to, right. to the patients. That's what exists. Yeah. That's what exists in, in a lot of the already uh, developed Meal plans, you know, whenever trying to give somebody as much support as possible, it's, you know, very helpful to have a few different ideas on how people can go about things. Sure. And so I I always found that once I exhausted the meal plans that I was recommending and I went to what was available, it would be sometimes painful to hand it out because I might look at it and say, oh, wow, all right, two to three ounces of chopped pork with a quarter cup of mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. And the amount of health complications that continued after surgery, I feel, were so heavily related to this type of food. Number one co- complication, constipation. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You know, these foods don't contain any fiber. And really, that that is a huge issue. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Thinking back, I'm just I'm also looking at this menu saying like low in fiber. So I'm looking at another sample here. This is a breakfast suggestion. You get one low fat cheese wedge. Low emph- fat emphasis on low fat, but only half of a banana. Doesn't that seem kind of backwards to you? Absolutely. I don't understand why that. Why? Why is it that fruits and vegetables are just so de-emphasized mm-hmm. on this diet? And that's completely what the person had been lacking coming in. The only salads I had before them were smothered in ranch dressing, topped with cheese, topped with bacon. I mean, we're talking about an unhealthy salad, and this, this is. Not saying that that was necessarily a bad thing. It's like taking a small wedge of that salad and saying, that's fine. Yep. That's fine. Just this is the way it's going to be now, here on out. Right. 
and yeah. So you're you're not treating uh, the behavior, the underlying cause of what what put you there again. So an, another idea for breakfast. But I remember for snacks, I'm looking uh, protein drink here made with fat free or or soy milk. Okay, so that's Yay. progress. Is that is that you're doing? No, that's not. That's that's something that is in the ADA um, handout. So okay. Really happy to see that they're there, and they they're really good about having you know different options of lentil soup and split pea soups, and, and really having some of these alternatives available. Uh, so it's it's a direction that is known to be the right way, mm-hmm. and I so much believe that the voice of dietitians and health, other health practitioners who are in this field needs to just get louder, right? Um, in order to implement more strategies to prevent post-operative complications. Now, the other thing, uh, real quick, before we kind of learn how to veganize all of this, and I honestly, I want to ask you, one, how to veganize the menu, but two, how that would aid in uh, the recovery process post-surgery and kind of reprogramming uh, the brain to make sure that you don't go back to those old ways. We're going to talk about that in a second, but I can't let this escape without mentioning they were putting me on, and I'm not going to drop the name of the company, uh, but these meal replacement bars that were just loaded with uh, fake sugar um, and they were chocolate uh, mm-hmm. mixed with some sort of uh, maybe granola or something like that. It was chocolate and peanut butter. But I remember specifically that, I mean, this sounds funny, but it's it's really not, gave me the worst gas ever. I mean, I could clear a room. This gas was so bad it could take the skin off of a potato. I'm not even kidding. Like, it was horrible. It was just horrible. And these are the type of things that they would would suggest that you take. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the the meal replacement bars, a lot of the fake food, you know, that's that's the best way to describe it. Uh, You you eat that stuff and your digestive system is really telling you something there when that's the response. It's not digesting those artificial sweeteners at such a high volume and in such a frequency. Right. But nonetheless, it was an easy grab and go. So I'm not the only person that relied very heavily on it. You know, I remember doing uh, I was hosting sports talk shows. We would actually go out and do live events and I would eat these bars during the day leading up to it. And we would do these broadcasts with the players at night. And I'd be sitting up there behind the microphone, not too differently than what we're doing right now. And I would just be holding it in, holding it in, holding it until about halfway through the show when I couldn't anymore. And I mean, just to see the faces of everybody else up there on stage just change. I mean, we are talking about legitimately turning green. And I felt so bad for the people in the first couple of rows as well, because no doubt they got a whiff of it, you know, and it was, it only took a couple of shows before they realized, hey, this was Chuck that was doing it. And they pushed it. Right. And they kept pushing it. Right, right. And for each one of those experiences that you've had, just thinking about how th- how that's affecting so many people, um, and it, it's very clearly related to what 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 food has been provided and right. encouraged and so and marketed to you right. as being a healthy alternative. You know, yeah. And, and real quick, it it got so bad. Cards on the table here. <laughs> I was looking up um, charcoal underpants yeah. to kind of take away that odor. I kid you not. And th- I'm, then you were looking for another supplement, right. to To make up for that. Yeah, I, I mean that's. Uh, it, I kind of woke up at that point. I was like, no, 
If I have to wear charcoal underwear, like something is wrong here. This, right. That, that's a good line to draw. I'd say for anybody out there, right. once you're at the line of charcoal underwear, you you really got to take a step back yeah. and think, I, what can I do? It's unreal. So my question is this. So we've talked about the regular menu, but I think that had I known, I honestly would have opted more for the plant-based menu and everything that we've talked about thus far we can certainly veganize mm-hmm. and make it healthier. And it is my hypothesis. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. But it is my hypothesis that, A, I would have recovered quickly from the surgery, uh, more quickly from the surgery. Uh, and, and, B, um, the the whole detox part would have been a lot easier as well. Yeah. So, I mean... It's just mind-blowing. I feel like I could talk to you for hours about this. But you, who were a rebel in the profession, who are a big proponent of plant-based eating, you kind of put together these guides where you would sneak in these vegan options on there without actually saying, hey, there's vegan stuff on here. There was no announcement, no. It's just it was the most logical next step in providing patients the most optimum nutritious choice for this next phase in the life that they've decided to to make on their own right and i wanted so much to make that the the option that was available to them and had there been a question of where is the turkey sausage where is the the low-fat cheese wedge my response to that would be that is not a food that would ultimately promote good health in the long term right it would not promote a good development of a healthy microbiome right and so therefore that is why i'm not recommending it to you today right now you you have letters behind your name as well in your opinion i understand that you're not a doctor but you did go um, uh, complete the certification to become a registered dietitian do you agree with my assessment that would have um, sped up the recovery time post-surgery Recovery time? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. So when we're thinking about things on a, like everyone go on the magic school bus with me and kind of zoom in and get onto a, a cell. All right there, Mrs. Frazzle. Yeah, <laughs> get onto a cell. So if you have cells that are, uh, you know, going to be filled with, uh, unfortunately, some of the dietary fat that mm-hmm. we consume in our, in our daily lives, over time, you know, during that healing period, it is the- it's the theory that that fat is decreasing in size. Right. And when that fat decreases in size, then your mitochondria can really act like superheroes and clean out the house and start to power your body to recover and act in such a way that is going to uh, you know promote your recovery. And if there is a diet that is continuing to add to that fat volume, and the cellular level, then those mitochondria aren't acting as fast. Right. And that's going to slow down the rate of healing. Yep. So, yes, I agree with you. Whether it's that or, you know, talking to all these sports guys recently, you hear a lot about inflammation and recovery time there as well. And I would say coming off of surgery, it would be much the same experience. Right. There's a lot of evidence that really points towards right now because, you know, supplements are such a thing. uh, Turmeric Mm -hmm. being used for postoperative healing. And, yeah, that's great. But that's a clue. Right. Because what's turmeric? A plant. Huh. It's a plant. It's all plants. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so if your diet could be a l- largely composed of those those components <laughs> that could be in turmeric and that could be in ginger and that could be in garlic and all of these things, 
just get it from the source. Right. And and I know that you've had a lot of time to let this marinate in your brain. And so we've seen this, what's called a soft diet seven-day menu put together by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. You've kind of marinated this, and I'm sure you've come up with a way to completely veganize this entire menu. Yeah. It'd be really easy to do. So one egg, one egg white scramble with two tablespoons of milk and, and the mango. Well, that's already plant-based. But the egg part, that's easy. Right. Uh, tofu scramble, right? Perfect. Yeah. And that's great. That's a, that's That's going to be an easy ounce per ounce swap out in that type of meal plan so that you would still be getting what's estimated to be possibly about 14 grams of protein Mm -hmm. for that meal. Mm -hmm. And it's not exceeding the volume of a half a cup. Right. Uh, So we're really looking at making sure that the protein is staying the same, but also the the portion size is something that you could comfortably consume within a 20 to 30 minute time period. Uh, This one, I mean, day one on the soft diet menu, this one actually makes my stomach turn. For dinner, two to three ounces chopped pork tenderloin with a quarter cup of mashed potatoes. Don't have so much problem with the potatoes. The pork tenderloin, though, I mean, come on, that's high fat, that's high salt, Two to three ounces of of that, you know, that's going to, uh, nine times out of ten, I I feel like a, f- a person would say to me that they couldn't eat any more than that. Right. And guess what? That means they missed the potatoes, which wasn't healthy to begin with, but that was the only chance that they had for fiber in that meal. Give me an idea how to replace the pork tenderloin. Two to three ounces pork tenderloin could be... S- easily replaced by using something like uh, if I were to take like a block of tempeh Mm -hmm. and I drop that in a crock pot with some, you know, maybe homemade barbecue sauce or a low sugar alternative, something that got whipped up uh, or even just tomato paste or tomato sauce that could give you that same amount of protein per serving. And it could give you that same savory mouthfeel. So you're still getting kind of that meat loafy type of, of taste. Um, you could also very easily utilize something like uh, split green peas um, or lentils. Well, I'm going to task you this. Uh, this segment's completely out of time. But if we could put together, uh, we'll, we'll do a side-by-side comparison of this seven-day menu plan with a vegan menu plan, uh, which apparently you've already done. Um, I would love to be able to put that up on the website as well, just so people Ooh. can kind of see a, a side-by-side comparison. Yeah, that that actually would be pretty easy because we have this one day here, and I have one that I have been handing out to folks um, that it's all plant-based, and it's 900 calories, 60 grams of protein seen in 27 grams of fiber nice so let's see what the original one compares out to because we then we, we have a really helpful clue okay well, <laughs> don't go anywhere uh, we're bringing you back for another segment here on the podcast we touched on it a little bit earlier but now we're going to get really deep into the gut microbiome aka gut bacteria yeah and eliminating those triggers in your brain this is the exam room brought to you by the physicians committee The Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Today's program all about going vegan after weight loss surgery. Some say it can't be done. I say that it absolutely can be done. Now, before we dive into the gut microbiomes, the gut bacteria, be sure to give the show a follow 
on Twitter at PCRM and go on Facebook. Also search PCRM.org and give the Physicians Committee a like. A ton of great material on there, not just related to this podcast, but from everything this organization does. So much going on. You're going to want to keep up to date with that. Uh, Dr. Neil Barnard has a new cookbook coming out about reversing diabetes uh, here in a couple of weeks, so that will be fun. And uh, obviously, uh, I'm joined again by registered dietitian Allie Lunning, and diabetes and reversing that is a big part of the reason why people opt to have weight loss. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough not to have diabetes. I was pre-diabetic, but did not have full blown diabetes before the surgery. Um, So, you know, that was good, but I maintain let's, let's talk about gut bacteria here. I maintain that the biggest single thing that the surgery did for me was enable me to detox off of the unhealthy fast foods. Yeah. Now we talked about some of the you know suspect offerings that were on my menu uh, initially, but quickly rid my body of all of that too. But um, it, you get that three to six month window where you can't tolerate those fast food um, cravings that that you used to have, and if you ate it, you would just get violently ill, and nobody wants to do that. Right. Um, so. When you when you detox off of that, it's not just in your brain; it's in your gut. Yeah, like, there's a lot of gut microbiomes, gut bacteria that plays into this. Oh yeah, all your gut bugs get an opportunity to take a rest, to breathe, and really kick the bad guys out of the situation. Now, the gut bacteria, it it, it like we've talked about this, I think, in the past on the show, it has a direct hotline to your brain. Like this is what 90 percent of what causes your your crazy food cravings. Yeah. So there's something called they call it like the gut brain relationship or the gut brain axis. And so there are so many things that influence our food cravings Mm -hmm. and a great percentage of what influences it is the bacteria that currently exists in the body that we live in. Right. So in our gut microbiome. And after bariatric surgery, you not only have that time period on your clear liquid diet to not introduce poorly forming bacterias, but like you said, you've got a pretty typical stretch of time where even if you were to introduce those foods into your diet, they might be poorly tolerated. So I I definitely see bariatric surgery as a unbelievable just opportunity for that change to really blast off. I hate to be Debbie Downer here. (laughs) You you get that opportunity to change and blast off, but... It doesn't really happen. Again, one of my first consultations at my surgeon's office, he's already telling me about a revisionist surgery in case this one doesn't take. Now, he wouldn't mention that if a good portion of his patients didn't wind up back on the operating table. Yeah, that's very that you, you Debbie Downard me, man. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So I mean, the thing is with that gut microbiome, it's precious. If you were if you were given that that time to basically regrow your garden with excellent fertilizer, and you watered it, and you were growing the most like beautiful organic produce. Mm-hmm. And then things started to become a bit more lackadaisical. Right. It is very easy for that 
garden to get overpopulated with weeds again. Now, I want to throw some stats at you. Uh, when I had the opportunity to write a term paper in college about this, um, I learned that 35% of all super morbidly obese patients regain a significant amount of weight following surgery. That's one in three. Now, they did not define what significant is, and they did not define a time frame for this. I suspect as the years progress, that number increases. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and here's where the gut microbiome really comes into play, okay? Another study found that 5.5% roughly of all adults are food addicts. They are literally addicted to food. However, patients seeking surgical intervention, no matter what the weight loss surgery procedure actually is, 42% of them are food addicts. And from my experience, I will tell you that a lot of that has to do with gut bacteria. Oh, wow. Those are some really... Those are some really impressive numbers that you pulled up because I think that to really acknowledge that um, amount of food addiction that's that's present in that population, it's so it's so important to be really looking at that gut microbiome in that retrospect. Right. Because if there are things that are influencing your food choices that you really have. You know, you're you can control one thing, but your your gut bugs are going to do another. Right. So uh, and and so you know, you have this opportunity. You have this window here where your gut bugs reset. They get a rest. Your garden starts to regrow. And yeah. It's nice and it's healthy. Yeah. But then the menus that we talked about earlier in the podcast. They're just going to kind of, they're going to be, you know, causing lots of unwanted weeds to sprout up in that garden and right. causing some of those cravings Cra to just yeah. come right on back. That's it's that's exactly it. Uh, that's the, the imagery I hope everybody's kind of coming up with here is that that weed wants to start to come back, even if it's just a piece or just a bit of this. If those mashed potatoes, let's say, that we were referring to in the food menu before, if they had cheddar cheese in it. That cheese addiction, that fire could get lit up. Oh, yeah, in a hurry. I mean, that's why Dr. Barnard calls it dairy crack. He yeah. literally defines it as dairy crack. And then, yeah, you cannot tolerate a large amount of it after the surgery. But if it's something that's still, it's, it's, it's an itch that you're still trying to scratch at a certain point, it could become sabotaging. And the, the effort and the hard work that goes into the entire process can become... Could fall from your fingers, and right. that's just heartbreaking. And and another thing, when you talk about the success rate of the surgery, that's really on a sliding scale because all of these studies that I found have not really pinpointed exactly what success is. It doesn't put it in terms of percentage of of weight lost, excess weight lost. It doesn't put it in uh, terms of actual pounds. Uh, it just says level of success. And so I'm left wondering: Well, does this mean? If they keep off one pound, does that make the surgery a success? Right. And you, you came up with... What are their with, parameters? Right. You came up with an interesting analogy, too, when we talk about, you know, food. I think that you had related it to alcoholism. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, when you have, you know, when you have these strict guidelines, the, you know, your treatment plan is to avoid this. Right. And you cannot tell an alcoholic that they can't have 
you know, one drink a day. Right. You know, as long as you're not having 10. That's not how they're going to find their recovery. Right. And that's not how that that's not how the these patients who are food addicts who are getting this procedure done, that's not how they're going to find their recovery either. Mm-hmm. And you it by by recommending foods that are not health promoting and changing that gut microbiome, it's almost depriving patients of what could be their real saving grace and save their life. Yeah. And, and it's funny, like you, you say that, and I think back to these support groups, these pre-surgery, um, you're getting ready for it. Let's gather all the patients that are also on the schedule, get them in a room, let them ask some questions to the doctor, to the nutritionist, whomever. The top asked question, I kid you not, is when will I be able to eat X Blank. again? Yeah. No matter what it was. And that speaks right to the fact that 42% of all patients seeking surgical intervention are food addicts. And again, that goes right back to gut bacteria. Absolutely. So let's talk about what would happen if somebody comes off of uh, that surgery, they have it, and then they immediately transition to a plant-based diet. How would that keep that garden flourishing and keep the weeds away? Well, other than having me like on their shoulders, <laughs> flashing pom-poms <laughs> like right next to them being like, you can do it. Um, you know, they're, act- they're helping to formulate uh, this type of, I have this in my notes here. It is called a bacteriodales. Um, so there are different types of gut bacteria that have been found in lean individuals. Mm-hmm. And so they're starting to really be able to more easily develop that type of friendly bacteria. Mm. Um, and so if somebody were to follow a more plant-based diet right. after the surgery, right, and they've just, it's like miracle grow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's That's great. And part of me also wonders... Because food addiction, I mean, that's, yes, it has a lot to do with gut bacteria like we're talking about, but addiction in the brain is also a serious thing. So what I found is that I've gone from being addicted to those unhealthy foods, those Taco Bell runs, those McDonald's Mm -hmm. runs, you know, like give me two large pizzas and a side of wings. I've simply replaced that with kale and quinoa. Yeah. Like I love, I go to the same salad every single day. I'm just a creature of habit. Spinach, kale, quinoa, garbanzo beans, black beans, a sprinkle of goddess dressing and some roasted mushrooms and uh, grilled red peppers. And I'm telling you, like this is so good. I eat it every day and I never get tired of it. And that food brings you joy. Oh, and great joy. That is an, that is something very important to acknowledge with this, this conversation of, you know, supporting a healthy gut microbiome, addressing the fact that some there that there is this food addiction present. If there is a kind of compulsive nature to feel a certain level of pleasure with food with a plant-based diet, you get to look at all of your beautiful colors. You get to ch- you get to finish this meal. This meal is going to take you like thirty minutes yeah, to finish. Yeah, yeah, those things are supportive of finding what the true solution could possibly be. Um, really finding ways to fall in love with the food that you you have. And you're going to feel satiated. I know some. Yeah. Uh, you know, so many times with things that I would eat post surgery when I wasn't eating clean. I would be hungry again in like mm-hmm. 20 or 30 minutes, even though my stomach was the size of a pouch. It was like I was just eating things that would go right through me. Right, right. Yeah. So when folks come and they might say that they've had hard boiled eggs and cheese sticks and chicken and that this is their typical diet and they're asking, why am I still hungry? Mm-hmm. I mean, 
the answer is pretty clear. Right. There's there's no solid fuel in that machine. Is that also partly because maybe that it's not that their stomach is completely emptied, but it is because they're addicted to those foods and they're craving more already? Is that kind of what's also at play here? It could be just associate. I mean, there are so many food is very personal. Right. And I always start that off with any consult I have with a patient. You know, it really really have to get to that. Um, But if you're if your familiarity or understanding with feeling satiated is when you've eaten X amount of something that is hot right. or salty, or, right. and there are different descriptors. Right. Even if you are physically full of salad, if you're missing that hot component or you're missing the, like, the smell that's in the, in the room when you make that food, you could be missing that idea of being full. And so that then you become very much invested or compulsive about really being like nope this isn't filling enough this isn't my this isn't dinner where's the beef (laughs) so how does a person then go like transition over to that how do they become satiated by these new foods is it just a process that they have to just kind of go through and and tough it out for a little bit i i would say that that that's 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 the brave next step you know knowing that it's not and acknowledging it is not going to be something that you skip into comfortably and say ah now i'm full right you skip into it and say all right well next time i think that i could probably have three more mushrooms on my salad sure or maybe next time i'm going to use fire roasted tomatoes instead of fresh tomatoes right really trying to find out what makes that meal more satisfying for you and knowing that what's going to be different what's going to be satisfying for you is different than everybody else because we're all special little snowflakes (laughs) (laughs) okay then special little snowflakes um so man well that just threw me off my my (laughs) sorry thought no it's it's quite (laughs) all right uh i'm 35 years old i've never been called that before um no it's it's cool there's a first time for everything um (laughs) i was not um I was not plant-based again immediately after surgery. So I, I went vegan years after this procedure. So I kind of had that traditional um, transformation uh, from, uh, you know, traditional diet to plant-based diet. And you know, it could be a little bit dicey. You get the gas situation as your gut microbiome starts to change. Right. This is why I wish I would have done things differently right from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Because you've already been hit by a truck. Your stomach is so small, the last thing you're really going to want to do is eat. And as we've already said, your garden is kind of starting to flourish again. You've hit that reset. So really, I mean, from the day that you go to the first soft food, if that is plant-based, you're not going to have to deal with any sort of tough transition. Right. That's a really good point to make. It's a beautiful point to make. That is your opportunity to not only set up the gut microbiome, but also the digestive exercise that it takes to get used to that fiber uh, intake, you know, from foods, not from supplements. Right. So really starting to get, you know, one pair is like an Asian pair, fun fact, is like 10 grams of fiber per serving. Right. Um, And if you normally now only get five grams a day, that's going to take some digestive exercise. Your guts are going on the treadmill at like 10 miles per hour. (laughs) It hurts the next day. Yeah. But if you've been kind of slowly and steadily getting into the flow of it, then you're really going to have a much more positive experience 
transitioning. You know, I would I would just love to see if there has been any sort of study done about the effectiveness of a plant-based diet on the success of long-term weight loss mm-hmm. post post surgery. And I really doubt that there has been, which is why I'm so grateful not only to be doing this podcast with you, but I know that with your background and my story, you and I are going to continue to work together and we're just going to put out this amazing project. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it, it needs to be done. It you does. Know, if you pull up Google, you see a lot of critics out there, but I'm telling you, I am living proof that you can absolutely do it. Yes. <laughs> right on. Throw those hands in the air. Uh, Allie Lunning, thank you so much for being My here. My pleasure. I love your passion and I love your shirt with the sunflowers. Oh, That's yeah. very happy. <laughs> see, habits do not form without happiness. So uh, if you have any questions about this, you can obviously um, just tweet me. Tweet me at Chuck Carroll WLC and uh, use the hashtag exam room. Send me any question that you possibly have. You could also uh, tweet at PCRM or go to their Facebook page, PCRM.org, and uh, shoot a question there. And if you're a bariatric patient out there who's had this, who's had this experience where you've encountered a plant-based diet, Definitely something to reach out. Yeah. Let us, you know, we all want to kind of make a support out of this. Abs- absolutely. Would love to know uh, your story, too. So uh, we're, we're going to change the world here. That's and I love it. it. Right on. <laughs> all right, Allie Lunning, thank you so much. This is such an important show. For so many people, when they are really trying to get back on track and get and get into the body that feels right for them, they really need to have a good understanding of the right food choices and what will help them. But I have to say they're not just really helping themselves. Their doctors are learning from their example. And when Chuck Carroll lost his weight and, and is keeping it off with his healthy plant-based diet, uh, he's an inspiration, not to just other people, but, but doctors are learning from his example, too. And I think that's fantastic. So for all of you who are doing this, share your experience with your doctor. If you want to bill him for it, that's okay, too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.